welcome along to another episode of Sweet Tea and Coffee. That was perfect, by the way. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was that was good. Volume? Yeah. Do I need to do that again? Yeah, let's do it one more time. Welcome along to another episode of Sweet Tea and Coffee. Yeah, that's great. Okay. We're gonna keep Apparently, all this. We're gonna keep all this on here. Okay. Apparently, so you're just making me do this <laughs> okay, over and yeah. over so that people can mock me. How many times can, can I get you to do the welcome? Well, so Blake always tells me that right before an episode, I get real excited, and mm-hmm. the introduction, he always has his hand on the volume button yeah. because in the introduction, I always blast in. All, all the he's got he's got to adjust all the, the pre-production volume. conversations at a normal level, and all of a sudden you're like yelling right on the very first part. So, I'm, ah, so I was really trying to have a calm and collected voice for welcome along so friends all that banter sorry about that we are glad that you're listening we did have a friend of the pod to talk about a returning friend of the pod yeah so this is epic okay this this is every you know we're viral now Uh and uh (laughs) whatever that means and now we've got returning friends of the pod and we said we were going to try to get stickers for friends of the pod we haven't done that yet we haven't done that yet but what happens if they're Double friends of the pod. I don't they know. get like two stickers. Two stickers. Two stars. Wow. Tell tell so, tell us what. Yeah, the, what? we got a, we got an email from our friend Blake Waller, and he was just talking. Hey about, Blake. Hey. Um, he was just talking <laughs> about. He was just talking about uh, how it, he was impacted by Miss Wilma's episode. How much of that was an encouragement to him, and I agree that was a it was a huge encouragement for me. I really loved that episode. That was a good episode. Was there any specific part that that he mentioned, or just in general, or? Uh, just talking about the the walking in friendship of the Lord over the course of, of a lifetime. Yeah. And, and 64 years 64 of marriage. 64 years of yeah. marriage. Wasn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. yeah really awesome. Uh, man, afterwards, it always happens where we hit record, we turn off yeah. the recording and then we hear some great stories of, of Wilma and Dennis mm-hmm. and airplane hangers and yeah. fun things like that. Wilma but, was a little worried about getting in trouble from Dennis. I hadn't heard from, from him if, if uh, he was upset, but... I think he's good. I think he's good. I think he's good. good. Well, today is going to be a a really exciting uh, day. We may go a little long today. We may break this up into a few different episodes. Anything could happen on Sweet Tea and Coffee. But we've got Kara Cooper here. And if that name sounds familiar, well, that's because we've had Randall Cooper. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Kara's right. husband on before he was one of the early episodes, yeah, one of the one of the top ten most listened to episodes on this wow podcast. But I have a feeling that I have a we feeling may rival that today that that there's going to be yeah a rivalry yeah. that's developed and uh, and I think Kara's going to overtake him. That's my that's my bet. I think I think just yeah. this will this will be a big one. So safe to say, Randall, she's coming for you. Watch out. Hey, stick around. This is going to be fun. Okay, so as I said, we have got Kara Cooper in the house with us today. Thanks for coming by. And we lo- we kind of front-loaded the episode by saying that Randall was one of the uh, most listened to podcasts that we've got. And I I deemed Randall uh, the most interesting man in the world yeah. in that podcast. So uh, he's the he's like done everything and knows everything about everything and... Uh, and he's and he's got a record, a podcast record. So no pressure, Kara, no pressure. But uh, we th- we think you're going to challenge him. That's just that's our initial feelings. How do you feel about that? Do you think you want to 
overtake him and have bragging rights in the house, or what? Are you, what are your feelings on that? I mean, either way, it's all in the same See, house, right? She's, I'm good she's with too it. nice. Oh, too nice. she's too it. nice. And I, but but a little subtle there. The 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 Cooper house dominance is what I hear. Like she's like, I don't care if it's him or me. The point is, both trophies are going to be right. in our our room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no point in fighting the Cooper name, right? Like, right. They'll just take it where it lands. So I love that. Well, seriously, thanks for uh, thanks for being here with us. Uh, this is interesting. This is the first time that we have interviewed not together. Yeah. We felt like we needed to Spouses. break break them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So so this will be this will be interesting. So we we obviously have in Randall's episode some of uh, some of y'all's story, uh, your journey uh, all over the place that wound you back here in in Nacogdoches. But uh, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what was life like as a kid, and uh, how did you end up making your way to Nacogdoches? Sure. Um, well, I grew up in the uh, the big town of Hudson, right outside of Lisbon. That's right. And um, yeah, and uh, grew up there. And um, I met Randall when I was nine. But um, anyway, yeah, we went to school together and um, moved off for college for a little bit. And then um, he was doing the Navy while I was doing college. And then um, we got married and we uh, we moved to Beaumont so he could do college for a little while. So yeah, uh, once we left Beaumont um, and went to Michigan to do school for him, um, he really wanted to come back to East Texas. And um, I really wanted to go back to Southeast Texas because that's where our home and where we had kind of built a life. But um, he was persistent that we wanted to be in East Texas. So mm, interesting. Yeah. So he, yeah, we, when we lived in Beaumont, we lived there five years and we left from four hurricanes. Um, so, um, yeah, but, uh, anyway, I just, I loved a lot of the people there and we had put down yeah. roots, but, um, as a compromise in East Texas, we decided to try Nacogdoches. Um, and so that's where we tried. And once we came to Fredonia Hill, we were like, oh yeah, this is going to be home. So that's how we ended up, ended up here. And he was definitely right. This was the right fit for us. So, wow. Yeah. So how did I, that is interesting. How did the conversation about Fredonia Hill come up? I mean, you just, you're new to Nacogdoches, your family at that time still, I assume, yeah. Lived around here. Yes. We have a, both of us have a lot of family around here, yeah. which is such a blessing. Um, yeah. Initially he was really wanting us to move back to Lufkin, like more to where had originally been home. Yeah. Um, and I love Lufkin, but um, I, I wasn't sure I wanted to go right back to Lufkin. And so um, he would say, not move back to East Texas. He'd say like, when we move back to Lufkin. And so finally one day I was like, Hey, what if we tried Nacogdoches? And he's like, yeah, we could totally do that. And so that's what we did. We, um, we came back and we, we hadn't been in Nacogdoches very long. And then once we visited here, we were both so hungry for community after hmm. living off um, that I think the first week we were here, uh, the Knowles asked us out for lunch yeah. like right then. And so, yeah, it just felt like home. Yeah. What so. when, what year would that have been when you guys first started coming? Yes. Um, January 2011. Oh, no, that's... Wait. January 2010. Sorry. Yeah. January 2010. Okay. Okay. So. Wow. Yeah. So you guys were pretty new. We came in yes. 2011. Y'all were still pretty new. pretty new. It's funny when you move somewhere, you assume everybody's been there forever Yeah. and you don't realize that there's actually a lot yeah. of people that are also, <laughs> also new. And so, okay. So, uh, you, you come and, uh, for uh, here, what's it like just as a aside, what, what's it like to be married to a guy that can just do it all? He's, he's the, the mechanic, He's a musician. He can build instruments. He can grow a 
fantastic beard. I mean, just like, <laughs> I, what, what's it like living with that guy? Yeah, well, I think he's a great guy. I mean, <laughs> right? Like, he's the yeah. one that, um, no, yeah, it's such a blessing. And um, he definitely is my best friend. So, That's yeah, awesome. it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. And y'all but, y'all started dating when you were? Hmm, kind of depends on who you ask. Oh, because um, we've asked him. What is your, this is good. What is uh, your side of that yeah, story? Well, just real quick. So, we started dating our spring senior year. Like, we'd known each other since we were nine. Um, but, um, even though Hudson's small, we were kind of in different circles. And um, Randall came to know Crest at 16, and there's just a huge change in him. But um, anyway, we started dating um, in the spring of our senior year, but he had already signed up to go into the Navy. And I knew I wanted to stay here and go to school to teach. And hmm. so um, uh, I think I'm remembering this right, that he thought we could make it work long distance. And I didn't um, mm-hmm. at the time because we didn't even know where he was going to be stationed. Yeah. Wow. Um, but it wasn't going to be close to East Texas. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, but yeah, it's so it's amazing um, how the Lord just kind of gave us some distance and some time. And so I would say we started dating, like really started dating a year and a half into him being into the, the Navy. So probably when we were 20. And then we dated four of the five years that he was in the service. so And it worked. And it worked, yeah. And it was definitely a God thing because most of our dates were talking on the cell phone. I mean, not the cell phone, on the pay phone because we didn't have cell yeah, phones that's then. that's right. Uh, so yeah, the Lord really hmm. used that to um, work on our communication skills uh, and to really grow, I think, our love and respect uh, for each other hmm. because we started out, you know, if you want to date someone else, like that's totally fine, you know, and it just, yeah, the Lord just put us together. So, wow, that's yeah. way cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah I ha- so there's some friends of mine that uh, their dating relationship was somewhat similar. They met kind of at the end of, I think at the end of high school and she was going to go to, uh, the, anyway, I, I asked him this, him this the other day, just about their journey. And, uh, and they essentially like d- did the military thing and she did, and they had to date long distance at like nine years. Wow. Doing the long distance thing and moving around. And uh, it does it, it, every, but every time you hear one of those stories, you, you do hear about how that challenge, some obviously don't overcome that. It becomes sure. too difficult, but, but overcoming it really, it does something significant in the area of communication and, and really solidifies a relationship in a really unique way before you even take that step of getting married. I, I feel like it's kind of what you're, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, it definitely, I mean, I knew when we got married, he was the only person that I wanted to be with, you know, and it wasn't just because, you know, things had just fallen together easily. Um, but yeah, it was definitely because of the Lord, not because of us. I mean, he was just really gracious to yeah. grow us yeah. during that time. So now how did, so you grew up and we're going to, we're going to get to this so much of my understanding of your story and, and, uh, becoming connected with you guys has to do with your kiddos. And, uh, and that's kind of where I drop in for the first time to you and Randall's story. Uh, but, but one of the things, uh, that, uh, that I know about you is that you grew up, uh, in a Christian home and, uh, and you were, you were, uh, you gave your life to the Lord at a young age, right? Yes. Is that right? So what what was growing up like in terms of faith? And yeah. uh, when did you, you said Randall uh, started following Christ at 16. What was That's your, right. what was your story? 
Yeah, so I did grow up in a home um, with a family that um, had a deep love for Christ. And um, so I, I accepted Christ into my heart at 11. Um, and I definitely grew up in church. Um, but when I was 11, I remember there was a message specifically out of James 2 that was talking about how <laughs> even the demons know God. Um, hmm. But how, um, you know, you can know God but not have, you know, a personal relationship with Him. And that chapter goes on to talk about your faith, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember the Holy Spirit just really convicting me that, yeah, I had grown up in church and knew Bible stories and knew a lot about God, but that I hadn't really surrendered my heart to Him. So, um, yeah, from the age of 11, I've walked with the Lord and the Lord is definitely, I mean, there's things I've had to walk walk through as far as like even more being probably like a Pharisee and self-righteous, being more in high school, just kind of revealing things like that in my heart as far as me feeling like I had to, you know, please the Lord kind of with my deeds or mm-hmm. find my worth in that. So I feel like the Lord um, kind of taught me that. But yeah, that's when my walk with Him um, started. And then, yeah, He just really grew it when He gave us the girls. Mm. So, Yeah. Yeah, so I th- I think that's interesting. One of the things that, I mean, I think this is true for everybody, but particularly for people who come to Christ at a at a young age, there seems to be this r- real distinct maturity point where you have to your faith has to evolve and grow into a place that it is really your own. Uh, the The blessing is that you grow up in a in a home in an environment where your spiritual life is is uh, is growing, encouraged, um, but but it does some it says sometimes lead to this moment of crisis where you kind of go wait a minute is what I believe mine or is it just my home and then how do I take that to be my own Do you have a point like that I mean eleven years old so in any time in your teenage years where it's like I. I've got to kind of a moment where you realize I've got to make this my own or did that just happen gradually or what was your experience? Yeah. So I, I, I think, um, well, when I was five, I was baptized, but I really feel like at that time it was more of a, just knowing all about Jesus. And like you're saying, growing up in a Christian home, you know, that it's important, you know, to give your heart to Christ. Um, but yeah, I feel like more at 11 is where I really understood, um, what that looked like. And, um, and realizing that I, it wasn't, um, you know, realizing that, oh, you could know about God, but not know Him and have a relationship hmm. with Him. And so I feel like it was on Valentine's Day. So on Valentine's Day, um, I just really felt the Lord um, calling me to Him. So hmm. um, I have not, I mean, I feel like along the way, yes, He's definitely taught me different things. But I feel like that is the point where I was aware of like, oh, I don't have this relationship with him. It was hmm. more of a, a head knowledge, if that yeah. makes sense, versus knowing him in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, and you mentioned, you mentioned that one of the big growth points in your faith has to do with your kids. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, and that, that's where, that's how I met the Coopers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I say met that <laughs> in, in a, in a, in a deeper sense than just kind of knowing you in the hallways of, uh, of church. So we had, uh, we moved here, like I said, in 2011 are, are kind of getting to know, uh, people and, and knew who you were, um, obviously from, from being here. Uh, 
but but not just tons and tons of uh, of depth until one day you get a call it's so new you get you were expecting your yes. kiddos and uh and twins were coming yes and uh and uh, so we're getting ready for that and then i remember so our former pastor uh pat kelly said hey i uh, i'm gonna go to shreveport uh the twins are coming and uh and so we're gonna go and and uh be with randall and and kara do you want to come it's like Okay, uh, so here here I am, and uh, and came, and that was I remember I just remember so vividly sitting in and meeting your family for the first time, uh, which was cool because I didn't know you guys super well, but then got to hang out with your uh, with your family and um, and get to know just what an amazing amazing family you have, and got to meet them. Uh, but that's where I dropped into your story. And there were lots of that in that moment, there were lots of questions. What is the future going to look like? And so maybe that's a good point uh, for you to kind of go, okay, what, so what's going on at that point? That's where I drop into your story. You're about to have twins. There's some complications and questions around that. What, uh, what all's going on there? Yeah. So um, you, I met, you dropped in on July 3rd, the day that the girls came and um, uh, the, we were expecting twins and these were our first babies. So I just assumed that I would carry them like almost a full term. So the girls weren't due until September 5th. But um, yeah, so we had spent three days in the hospital. Um, my labor had started and they had put me on some medication and were able to stop my labor. But once they took me off the medication, my labor started back. So um, yeah, so the, but the Lord knew, you know. Hmm. Um, but anyway, but yeah, so um, on July, July 3rd at 1.23, Kate Cooper was born, and then at 1.24, Hannah Cooper was born. And um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was an amazing day that they surprised us by showing up so early. So so. early, so early. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so from the, I mean, so from the very, very beginning... Uh, there were, as I, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I miss, yeah. if I miss details and part of, maybe this is a good part to, to even say, uh, you have recorded so much of this story and it, mm-hmm. and originally it was recorded in, uh, in emails. You were sending emails out for people to pray yeah. and there was other, there's something else going on in those emails too. If you, if, and I've gone back and read them, actually, I read them all this morning and, uh, it wasn't just you asking people to pray, but it was also you very intentionally telling people about how good yes. God is. Yeah, and that absolutely. is one of the things that just really stands out as I've reread those those emails is the testimony element of it that you you had a deep conviction to tell people like look yes. at how good God is in this in this story. Um, so, so much of this is uh, is recorded. So, before we even just get into the details of the story. At what point did you realize and start really? Because these goes, I mean, I, I don't know if I have all of them, but I have emails that go back to October of 2012. So really early on, you, yeah. you what, what made you just go, I'm going to, I'm going to write all this down and yeah. send this out. What, how did that happen? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, when we were in the NICU, like we were told so many things like this is the way it's going to be. And hmm. um, so Riedel, is it okay for me to go back this way? Like go. it's protecting. Yeah, go. Okay. So um, our girls were born that day and um, I, 
we thought everything, I mean, we were still like processing like, whoa, our babies are here, you know. And when you have preemie babies, like you don't get to see them. You don't get to touch them. Like Hmm. they're just in a little isolate thing and um i remember i um i woke up they had to they had to put me to sleep right when the girls were born um because um the medicine was not working like it should be and i could feel um with the c-section i could feel a lot of pain and so once the Mm -hmm. babies were out they knocked me out but when i woke up from there um we weren't able we weren't i had to walk which you can't do right after you have a c-section but anyway all that to say um we were, Randall and I, I think we're processing like, whoa, our babies are here. Like everything, you know, was totally different yesterday, you know, mm. and the babies are here and we couldn't hold them. We couldn't, you know, mm. you could put your hand through this like little circle and you could kind of touch them. Um, but anyway, so we um, we were kind of in shock, I think, at least for the first couple of days. I know I was. And um, just trying to like wrap my mind around like, whoa, okay, the babies are here, like all the things you normally like you can't even change their diaper like nothing you know and so um anyway but um I remember like trying to process what had happened and I remember it was July 4th because we were in Shreveport and we can see these fireworks going out over the river and I remember like just being I don't know just trying to process it and just reading scripture trying to kind of find comfort and um because this was so not my plan um to have these babies um but I remember the Lord took me to scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and it said um just as you cannot understand how the wind blows um or how a baby grows in its mother womb Mm -hmm. so you can't you know you're not always going to understand the Lord's ways and so I remember getting that scripture and thinking like okay Lord like you knew that they were coming today, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, so, but it was the very next day where our world just kind of shattered for a little bit mm-hmm. as far as um, we were told that the girls, because they were born at 30 weeks, they always did a, um, a CT scan on all those babies. And so uh, we knew that was happening and didn't think anything about it because they told us it was routine. But during that CT scan is when they, discovered that Kate had had a global stroke at some point in utero. And um, so uh, we once we found that news and just trying to process, we the doctors left us with no hope that she would come home from the hospital with us. And so hmm. uh, Randall and I just kind of, you know how, like, you know, just in trying to process that, but then in also knowing, like, okay, I don't understand, but sometimes the Lord— heals by by letting us go home to heaven and so i remember like us praying and like really wrestling through but knowing okay maybe the doctors are right like maybe she's not gonna make it Hmm. home but um you know the lord just had other plans and so i think you know as far as in sharing in october like in so many ways we saw like the doctors would say like we have no idea like why she's still able to be here with you and and not just here but like thriving like she's doing so many things that we can't explain and Mm. so we would say well let me tell you it's jesus Mm. you know so um yeah it it would Hmm. it would have been wrong to have kept it yeah all to ourselves so wow so you boy that's a that is a dramatic (laughs) shift to go from the euphoric 
We've yes. just had these children, we, you know, especially when that's not, that's a new experience for parents. You know, it's just like, what does it feel like? What is that? What is that like? And then to go into that moment with there being distance. Yes. And then with that distance to have to process, I'm sure a massive amount of information. I mean, I'm sure as this is coming, this is tons of overwhelming, just medical information and prognosis and all that coupled with the distance that because yes. they were in the, because they were in the NICU, um, man, what, so at what point in that, I mean, so they were there, how long, how long were they there? They were there seven weeks. Okay. So in that seven weeks and, and you share this in your, in your stories, but the, at some point it's like, it becomes clear mm-hmm. that everything that everybody's saying That's is right. wrong, Yeah, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Did you, did you have a sense of that shift early on? Did that take, what, what happened that made you kind of even maybe for the first time go, I'm not sure these experts are quite as expert as, and and no, I'm not, no criticism. They're, they're giving you what they, what the numbers and the, you know, I'm sure. And and the research shows, but you're seeing a whole different reality take place. When did you start to key into that and go something extraordinary is happening here? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I I really wrestled with the Lord. It wasn't just like, okay, Lord, you know, whatever you want to do. I can, I can remember like being over her isolate and just like praying, you know, but I think for me, when they told me that she would never be able to breathe on her own or come home and, and the Lord just was gracious and touched her body and let her breathe. And so when hmm. when being open, I, I feel like the Lord, one of the things He spoke to my heart was that I was going to have to be really open-handed with Kate. And um, so hmm. I felt like if He chose to heal her by, um, by taking her home to heaven, then I was just going to have to trust Him with her in that. But at the same time, when she started doing things that the doctors were saying, like, she'll never do, but she was doing it, then I just felt in my heart like— you know, I mean, God can do anything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so He just really impressed in my heart um, to believe that He could do anything um, because I didn't want my mm-hmm. lack of faith to hinder what He could do for her and for us. But in the very next breath, I prayed He would give me strength if He didn't heal mm-hmm. her the way that I wanted Him to. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, He was really good in that. He used he used the scripture Luke one thirty seven, like nothing is impossible for God, you know, mm. and so um, yeah, he used that verse, and I just kind of, I kind of claimed it, and he was God was so gracious. Kate's neurologist was a Christian, hmm. and um, he would tell me when I would meet with a specialist. Sometimes it felt like you were being beat up because they wouldn't recognize lots of times anything that she was doing, even though it was very very small. They were quick to tell me, like, but she won't, she won't do this, this, and this. And it's like, okay, you know. But he would tell me, Kara, they're looking at Kate like she's a textbook case, and she's not a textbook case. And he mm. would tell me, mm. she is in God's hands, and only life, only God knows what life will look like for this little girl. Wow. And so, how amazing that her brain doctor, wow. yeah. you know, would speak that. And over that was her. And you're saying that was really early on in the. Yes, that was really early on. So we met. 
Um, we met Dr. Pena the day after oh, her this neurologist. Is do- okay, this, this is, is Dr. Dr. Pena. Yeah, he, yes. he, he plays He's a big huge. role in this story. Okay. Yes, absolutely. So we met him the day after we were given the diagnosis of the CT scan. And he even told me, like, she's, I'm so sorry, you know, she's not going to make it. And so he was very kind. I know he probably repeated himself a thousand times just trying to process, just trying to process. But we we saw him at that appointment, and then we left. And in October, we were supposed to do a follow-up appointment. Well, we had gone the week before to see a neurosurgeon. And I was so excited because this doctor had told me she'd never breathe on her own. You know, she'd never do all these things. And Kate was doing those things. And um, But anyway, it was just a very negative appointment. So I left there, and we were supposed to see Dr. Pena the next week. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to be excited this time because, you know, he's going to tell me all the things again. Yeah, you're preparing yourself preparing, for the, yeah, getting beat up again. Yeah, for yeah. being beat up. And everything was still so raw, right? Like we yeah. had just found out in July. But anyway, I went in, and he said, um, uh, this baby is a miracle. And he said to his nurse, hmm. You should touch her. She's a miracle. And um, he looked Mm. at me and said, I knew she would make it. And I said, no, like, I think you're thinking of someone else. Like, you told me that she wasn't going to make it. And he said, well, I had to tell you that because that's what all the medical signs were pointing at. But he said when he went to evaluate her for the first time, when he opened the isolate, she turned and she looked at him and he said, He'd never had that happen before, and he just felt the Lord say to him to trust him. Hmm. So, wow. yeah, that's amazing. Dr. Pena was such a blessing to our family, and I know the Lord is the one that picked him to be Kate's neurologist. Wow. I'm so thankful. Well, there's so, oh man, there's so many different themes there. I mean, I, let's let's talk a little bit about, because one of the things I want to get to is the, just the, the idea of provision. And mm-hmm. you guys saw that in your in this in this story over and over and over again as it related to people, yes. as it related to to things that you needed, uh, resources, all sorts of stuff. There was provision, but but the thing that that just stands out is you if you just read through this story, the thing that stands out very early on is that Kate just defies every odd. Yeah. That there is, I mean, from, from very early on, and you went through different phases of people saying things that she wasn't going to be able to do. And I I believe one of the, you know, obviously breath was the first one and it's like, and that got defied quickly. (laughs) And then, uh, but then wasn't one of the, the first real hurdles, uh, her being able to keep food down. Uh, And that was a, wasn't that, that was a big deal. And people said, "Oh, she's not going to be able to. She's not going to be able to to do that." What What was that process like? Yeah. So um, it was it was really hard. I did not know. Um, and and during those days, like there just wasn't a lot of sleep at our house, so there wasn't a lot of time to like kind of clear headedly think and look at things. But what we didn't know until Kate was almost three months old was that she had reflux really bad. Yeah. And so yeah, so it was. It was it was very, very, very challenging to know how much to feed her and just be content with the food you got in her, or do you just push it and feed her some more and chance that she may spit up, you yeah. know? So we were able to get in and see a specialist super quick, which was a huge blessing. Um, and um, yeah, I think uh, that was definitely a big thing. And then at some point, um, I think when Kate was 15 months old, we had um, a G button put in, yeah. um, which 
made our life so much easier um, for her and for us because we were able to remove the air from her stomach. Um, So, yeah, that was definitely uh, a big hurdle. But, you know, um, uh, Kate, I mean, being a parent, God always uses your children, (laughs) you know, to teach you lots of different things. Um, But I think with Kate in particularly, things like feeding a child that you normally you know, you can pretty much handle that or whatever. I mean, there was so much I knew that I wasn't in control of. And so mm. even in those really, really um, hard times, I knew he was with me, you mm. know, so he was so gracious to do that. But yeah, he definitely did provide the right doctor and then a doctor that could explain exactly why we need to do this. Because, you know, one of the things they had told me is that she would never eat and she was eating. And so being able to know, like, no, this is the right thing to do for her. It's not giving up on that, you know, as, yeah. as her mom, trying yeah. fat and far. So, yeah. yeah. One of the things you describe in, as you talk about the challenge of, of her eating and, um, and throwing things back up and is the, is the conversations between you and Randall. Oh, yeah. And you talk about, you guys are talking about, well, do we, do we feed her more? Do we, do we not? What do you want to do? Uh, how do we, you know, and I imagine, you know, just any, as any parent would, you come to these moments where you don't know what to do, where whatever's happening in front of you, you're like, oh, there's no Uh, textbook for this. That's a lot of what parenting is. That's right. That's a lot of what parenting is. So what, talk a little bit about it, especially in those, in those early days, uh, where so much is unknown, but yet you see, just miracle after miracle starting to starting to take place. Talk a little bit about if you can what what's going on in the dynamic between you and Randall, yeah. and what those conversations are, and how because I've heard you guys just talk about how God really strengthened the two of you together, yes. and you held one another up. And yes. what what's that like as you're experiencing that kind of in the moment? Are you aware of it that we're holding each other up here, or is that something that you see as you look back? What what are those moments like in a, in a marriage? Yeah. So, um, in those early days for probably the first 11 months of their life, they had to eat every three hours. The girls did. So uh, it took, they had to eat every three hours. So by the time we fed both of them, changed both of them, you had like 45 minutes before it was time to do it again. Um, so yeah, it was like, how fast can I eat a sandwich and what else can I do in 45 minutes? But, um, yeah. So Randall at that time was working for 10 hour days. So, um, Monday through Thursday, he wasn't coming home until after six. And, um, we just decided he, um, he offered to cook. So for those crazy months, he cooked supper and I fed the girls at six and then he was awesome and fed them at nine. And um, I tried to go to sleep before midnight. So, yeah, we are um, we are very much opposites. Hmm. Um, but man, God used that to make us a team. I can remember early on um, people telling us like having a baby that has special needs like that's going to be really hard on your marriage. Like, do you know how many couples don't make it? I mean, it's just, Hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and so I can remember us going out. My parents um, gave us a date night um, once a week and they still do. They're awesome. But they would give us a date night. And I remember like someone speaking that to me and just being like, oh, like that's scary, you know? So Mm -hmm. I remember Riedel and I talking about that and he was like, that's not going to happen to us, you know? Mm -hmm. And not because we're special, but just because we were going to press in together. And so, yeah, we definitely 
process things differently, but um, yeah, we're able to be, we're able to walk through it hand in hand and kind of figure out what that, what that looked like. So yeah, but that was all, you know, that was just God being so gracious and all the people that were praying for us. Yeah, man. And, and the recognition of how the Lord uniquely even put you together and wired you that, that he would even provide those personality things and, yes. and different strengths and weaknesses to be able to to yes. walk through something like that 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 provision even in personality is yes is amazing uh, yes. to see so I uh, maybe I've skipped over something massive uh, so you gotta catch me if I miss like <laughs> we went from you know this a, a tough prognosis mm-hmm. not gonna be able to breathe on our own to at home yeah yeah. So it's so sorry about so at some point we get we leave the hospital like yeah hello like major first thing and I missed it but uh, so so what's the, what was the transition from yeah hospital to home like are you like walking out the door with the girls like see you later you yes. people that said we're not going home you know like, what's that like yeah so yeah so I was able to stay with the girls all during our stay I stayed across the street in a, in a, a home that they had there for families that had mm. someone in the hospital which was such a blessing mm-hmm. and then Randall was there from Thursday night till Sunday night when he had to go back but yeah it was amazing so I um the the last night that we were there they actually let us take the girls into a room and all four of us get to stay in a room together and um yeah I've, how long had it been before you got to do that i mean what, oh, what day was it, that it was like day 49 oh my gosh and so yeah i um i had people say like weren't you scared and i was like no i was no. so ready to get <laughs> yeah, my babies sure. and go but no it was amazing I, the thing i remember the most is when they finally unplugged all the cords because when we carry them you had to make sure like the cords didn't get wrapped around a chair and you know, things right. would beep. And so, yeah, when they finally unplugged all their cords and yeah, we were like, we're out of here. Randall's like, we got to get back to Texas. So wow. anyway, yeah. But yeah, that was, that was, I believe August 20th. So we've been there from July 3rd to August 20th. So, well, I, I mean, I think one of the things that happens, that's so long. It's yeah. just, that's just such a, I mean, I, I'm just thinking time. about when, if we had our kids and we were in the hospital for like two nights, we're like, this is forever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. nothing compared to that. Well, but then there's that moment. And again, like parents just, uh, there's that moment where you get home with them for the first time. And there, there's for sure the yeah. relief of like being out of the the hospital and the system and all that kind of stuff. But then there's also, at least for me, there's that moment of like, oh gosh, it's just us. <laughs> <laughs> the help is gone. Like what? What do we? I don't know how to do this. You know, I don't know. Did, did you have that kind of that moment, or were you so relieved to be out that? Yeah. You kind of bypass that. Yeah, I was so thankful to. First, to bring both babies home, and then to have Randall home too was like—I mean, for us to all be together. I um, I think maybe that was just the Lord just taking yeah. care of me, not to be scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was just so thankful to have us all yeah. together. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, so okay, so then, so then begins this. Uh, I say begins the continuation of this journey of defying every odd and and kind of overcoming the things that that we were, we were told yeah. uh, that, you, that you were told that, that wouldn't happen. Uh, and so one of those, one of those first things is, uh, is it speech more? Is it more or like recognition of you? What, what was kind of the, the next big hurdle 
after you got home? What was the next thing? It was like, she won't be able to do this. Yeah. But that we were going, no, I think, I think maybe so. What, what was that? Yeah. So definitely the feeding thing was a long process um, and trying to figure that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then after that, I think the first big thing um, was they had told us, you know, she would not recognize us. Once they found out that hmm. Kate was going to breathe on her own, we were told, well, she won't be able to do anything but open and close her eyes. And so... Um, Dr. Pena had told us because the stroke was so massive, it would take her body a little while to mm. recoup and we just have to see, you know, mm, how yeah. she did. But I believe it was in March um, when she first smiled at us and it was the most amazing thing. And it was like, oh, oh, look, wow. look, look, you know, <laughs> uh, and it was like a crooked little halfway smile. But when we would start to talk to her hmm. and she would smile and it was like, okay, like this was not supposed to happen. And I think with Kate, every little thing was so sweet because mm. we knew it was a gift, you know, from the Lord. But that was definitely one of the biggest things. Um, a little bit after that, we went to some really good friends' house that we had grown up with. And at that time, they lived in Akadoches, the Martins. And I had left the girls inside uh, with my friend Amanda and her little girl. And I had gone out to tell Randall something. And while I was gone, um, um, my friend said she was blowing like kisses. She was like blowing a kiss and like listening. And Amanda told her, Kate, your mom went outside. She'll be right back. And she stopped. And so that's what we started noticing. She was able to move her lips. So um, I woke up one morning um, and I, I, for years, I slept with the baby monitor on my side of the bed, but I woke up and she was blowing kisses. And when I would go in and talk to her, she would stop and she would smile at me. So kisses were like a huge way. Mm. Um, and I mean, what a sweet gift from the Lord, yeah. you know, mm. for her to be able to show affection back to us. But yeah, blowing kisses was a big thing. Um, with time, we started hearing her say, um, make um, letter sounds like with her lips. So Ilm yeah. is one of those sounds, you know, so she would make them. Uh, and then over time, it was really sweet. She got to where she could say mama. So I and just to kind of clarify, like that whole side of her brain that has language was gone, like completely gone. So yeah. but she um, over the time that we had her, uh, she had 12 words and they were all like um, she could say Hannah. She could say Papa. That was probably her favorite word. And um, Boy is what she called my mom for Buela. But anyway, yeah, she had different um, words that, you know, hmm. she could speak. So that was one of the big ones just to know, like. To not know what life was going to look like for her, but to be reminded, like, only the Lord would determine yeah. what that looked like, mm. you know? So, wow. anyway. So, so in every one of these, these hurdles uh, or these challenges, these things where people say, the experts say, she's not, she's not going to do it. You're at home experiencing a very, a very different reality, yeah. uh, but it doesn't come without obviously tremendous challenge. And I think that's one of the things that really comes through as, as you, you read uh, your story, read through these emails is that you don't, you don't hide the difficulty. So in those moments of, of difficulty, I mean, just even talking about feeding every three hours, I mean, just that schedule and it just wears your body, you're, you're made for sleep and you don't get it for a long time. Yeah. Uh, what, what is your mindset as you're, I'm sure 
at moments, physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted. I mean, there's a lot of ups and downs in, in that. Uh, what's your mindset? What's your perspective? What is it that kind of keeps you uh, in such a uh, a state of belief that that God is is at work here in the middle of the really harder stuff? Yeah, well, I think it was probably two things for me. So when I was pregnant with Kate and Hannah, weeks before I had them, I remember praying um, one evening specifically, like sitting in our living room floor and praying that more than anything, that God would be glorified in Kate and Hannah's life. And I Hmm. remember the Holy Spirit saying like, do you really mean that? Wow. And I remember pausing and being like, yeah, I really mean that. Like more than anything, I want them to bring you glory. And um, so on those really hard days when I didn't know what I was doing, you know, or or if I was doing everything right or or understanding, like, why does it have to be hard for her to eat? You know, mm. the Lord would take me back to that moment where I prayed and mm. remind me that more than anything, I wanted her life to bring him glory. And he was able to remind me she was doing that, you know? Wow. Yeah. Um, and so that was one thing. And then the other thing that I think I just um, really clung to was the Lord, when we found out about Kate's diagnosis, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me I had two choices. I could either choose to trust Him and be open-handed with Kate, and He could bring eternal glory from it, or I could become bitter. And Hmm. um, I just, I couldn't imagine having to walk through all of that for nothing, you know, Mm. and just, um, I think to him giving us Hannah and Kate, I might could have hid my bitterness from Kate, but I couldn't with Hannah, Hmm. you know? So, um, yeah, I think those were the two things I, I, I knew I didn't want to be bitter. So, you know, it was like, okay, if you can bring eternal good from this, like, let's go, you know? So you, so you, you recognize and I just, gosh, there's so many things I want to ask you about. Uh, you, you just, the way you talk about your relationship with the Lord is a very conversational relationship. Uh, and I just like, I'm, yeah. I want to dive in, yeah. but, but, but you were, so you were aware from the moment that this, this, uh, prognosis comes in, that I've got a choice here. That was a very clear fork in the road for you yes. was either, I'm going to either choose joy to turn it over to the Lord and to walk in obedience or I'm, or I'm going to be bitter. And you knew that from the very beginning. Yes. Wow. I knew that from the beginning. I mean, and it wasn't like I ha- I was going to, I mean, nowhere through this did I have to muster up the strength or anything. I just had to trust him. So hmm. I knew from the beginning. Yeah. If I did not, if I did not choose to trust him, then he could still bring good from it, but it might not be as much good, if that makes mm, sense. Yeah. And um, yeah, in all that hardness and all, if if he could bring any good from it, like that's what I wanted was him to bring good from it. But yeah, I feel like during that time, um, I God was just really gracious to me. And he knew like, I, I mean, I'm not a strong person. I'm not a, even a pull your boots up kind of girl (laughs) like that's not me you know so all of the peace and the strength like that was all just him you know helping me and I knew I couldn't I couldn't do it on my own and Hmm. so yeah he just was really gracious 
to me. Well, and I think, you know, I think people hear, they hear stories like this and I know I've, I mean, I've obviously knowing you guys well, I've on more than one occasion thought, what would I have been like going through that? I don't think I could do it. I don't think, you know, I what would I, would I be bitter? You know, you ask yourself, you hear, you hear stories of what things people walk through and you think to yourself, uh, at least I do, maybe I'm by myself in this. You think, I don't know if I, if I could do that, but what I hear you saying is, yeah, you're probably right. You can't do that. That's the whole point. Right. And what you discovered is, and you probably wouldn't have said if someone yeah. would have told you, Hey, here's what, here's what you're going to walk through. You would have probably said, I can't, there's no way yes. I can't do that. But what you're saying is, you weren't prepared. You right. you don't know how to go through it before. You discover the provision that God brings and the supply of strength and patience and what you need. You discover that along the way yeah. as you just choose to trust him. So the one thing you're doing, at least I hear you say this and clarify if I'm if I'm wrong, but I hear you saying the one thing I felt like I was responsible for was just trusting. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Just trusting him. Yeah. 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 And that's and in that trusting is where you're yeah. you're discovering the provision. Yes, discovering the provision and I also discovered freedom if that makes sense. Hmm. So, as we're going to these different specialists and looking into I mean, we were doing therapy from once she came home from the hospital, but um it can be daunting to try. I mean, more than anything, you want your child to be able to walk and do all the things mm-hmm. that a typical child can do. Um but yeah, I feel like when Kate was six months old and we were doing the Christmas story in here at Fredonia Hill. And I remember that verse, like I said, Luke one thirty seven, like nothing is possible for God. I remember it like echoing in my heart. And in that moment, I remember the Holy Spirit being like, do you really believe that? And I thinking like, yeah, I really believe you can do anything. But I feel like in that moment too, it freed me from feeling like I had to fly Kate to the specialist, you know, in Pennsylvania Mm. or fly Kate to the specialist in California. Like, the Lord, I, I knew that I was to be a good steward of of doing therapy, and we definitely did therapy a lot. Um, but I knew that that wasn't going to determine on its own wow. what life looked like for Kate. And so the Lord freed me to just enjoy her, you know, wow. um, as well as do therapy, definitely. And we did a lot of that in our home and, and drove for therapy, but it wasn't all consuming, which I think it really could have been. And it could have yeah. been, um, a, anyway, it could have been something, but the Lord just prevented it from that. So, oh, that's a, yeah. that, that is, that's a profound point. You kind of, the freedom is in like, I, if, if this, if, if this life is the Lord's yes. and I believe that it is, and he's created her for his glory. Yes then he's going to provide for her. That's right. And it does free you. That I, Yeah, that's massive. Because I think it, a lot of times in that scenario, particularly as it, as it has to do with kids, like we're, we can take on, mm-hmm. I think, too much ownership a little yeah. sometimes as parents that, you know, this is my job to fix it. Right. And the pressure that and the responsibility that that would take re- at that perspective, as opposed to, no, I'm a, I'm a steward of what is... God's and the freedom that that brings that that, were you aware, were you aware of that or was that a reflection sort of understanding? Cause that's, yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, it is powerful. And I feel like the Lord just kind of freed me in that. I I do feel like he showed me that early on, Hmm. even in little ways, like, 
Um, you know, I, I just, in having, you know, then we had Emily, so we have all three of them and they're little, you know, uh, I just felt like, yes, the Lord, yeah, it was just something that he showed to me and wanting things to be balanced, Mm. you know, um, because Kate more than anything would love to sit in somebody's lap versus, you know, doing therapy or, or us going and doing things as a family and, you know, Hannah having, those memories and Emily being able to look at those pictures. So I think in the moment, um, the Lord showed me like, I didn't have to carry that, you know? And I think one of the biggest things outside of trusting him was I learned just to kind of rest in his sovereignty. Hmm. And like, when he asked me to do something, then I needed to do my part, but I knew I couldn't control things for her. And so, yeah, he just kind of freed me from that. So. And I'm wow. so thankful he did because I was able to enjoy her. Yeah, the way yeah, I did. that's amazing. And the, and one of the things I think that also happens that comes across in your story, and we're going to get to this. We're going to take a quick break. Yeah, uh, and and reset a bit, but uh, but just the way that the Lord even worked to bring all three girls together mm-hmm. and the uniqueness and and special nature of their relationship, I think had a lot to do with the rhythm of life that you guys decided that you were going to have that you were going to trust Kate to the Lord. And free, be free from the uh, the panic of the of control, but doing that also allowed them to have a really unique mm-hmm. and special relationship. So I want to get into that. And there's a ton more miracles yeah. to talk about. We've got all sorts of doctors that show up and random people that are in your path and random thrift store finds that yes. are uh, like We're gonna essential medical equipment that shows up in a thrift store. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with Kara Cooper. All right, guys, we've decided to go ahead and pause right there with Kara, and we have a lot more to come, but we're going to wait till next week to do that. So hang on, wait seven days, and we'll continue this interview uh, next week. Hey, if you're a, a, a friend of the pod, we want to hear from you, so you can email us at stc at fredoniahill.org. We get so many kind and encouraging comments and Uh, We really do appreciate it. Um, Guys, thanks for listening, and tune in next week. Adios. Adios.